The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Solnier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, hello and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. We have, or I have, I should say, so, so I'm flying solo today. I've got a an out-of-the-ordinary EDU today. It's going to feel a lot more like a Q&A show, but we do these occasionally when uh, Jim is unavailable to record, which he is now. He's off on his uh, his fall adventures, which includes some conferences, some training, some visits with family, all kinds of stuff. Um, and he's on the road as we speak, so he's unable to record with me today. But I'm going to take the opportunity to get caught up on some good Social Security questions. So like I said, it's going to feel a bit like a Q&A show, but um, we'll call it a Social Security-specific show, if you will, and forgive me releasing it as an EDU, but that works for our schedule this week. So uh, it's hard to banter with oneself, so we'll jump right into things here. Um, show probably won't be one of the excessively long ones. I've got, I think, five questions to go through. Uh, some of them are actually, a couple of them are quite interesting. Um so I'm looking, I'm, I'm kind of glad we got these. I'm looking forward to dig, digging into these because I think there's a couple of new things that we haven't either, either new or things we haven't really touched on much, uh, previously. And, or if so, we're distant in the uh, past since we've talked to them or talked about them. So the first question comes in, uh, pretty recently, actually. Uh, Jim got this on October 4th. Uh, state hint. So they included a state hint here. We're in the state with the nation's second largest canyon, which, of course, I can see the answer. So I'm just I'm doing this for you all, your all benefit. Actually, what? How would one say that from Texas? Where is the answer? That's <laughs> y'all's benefit. Um, so it's uh, Texas, which is a surprise to me. I didn't realize that uh, Palo Duro Canyon near Amarillo is uh, the nation's second largest canyon, according to this listener. So. Uh, again, we don't vet those, so we'll just trust it for now. Although uh, we have a question later on from Illinois, and I forgot to correct a, a hint that we had gotten previously uh, from an Illinois listener, but uh, we'll tackle that when we get to it. So today's question, um, it's essentially, uh, 
starts as, as follows. My wife filed for Social Security first at age 64. She started receiving her reduced benefit in June. I then filed a few months later at 68 and a half with my benefit starting in August. I was then surprised to get a letter from Social Security showing what my wife's new benefit will be with the added spousal offset, which it's, as I think I mentioned in a recent show, it's called the spousal excess benefit. I've previously used the word offset, so I apologize for for for, for teaching people that word. Uh, I think it makes more sense, but that's just me. Um, the spousal excess. He, he continues and says, I thought this would not happen until we specifically requested that she get the spousal excess closer to my wife's regular Social Security uh, full retirement age in a few years. Is there something we should have done differently to avoid the spousal excess kicking in automatically? So he is exactly right. That is consistent with my understanding is that spousal benefits are never turned on automatically. So when you go in and claim, even if your claiming unlocks the door to a spousal benefit, they don't shove your spouse through that door. It simply unlocks the benefit. Your spouse has to request opening the door and walking through it. So the fact that she had filed for her own benefit at 64, and as you pointed out accurately, would have been receiving a reduced benefit because she didn't wait to her full retirement age. She was 64 this year. That means that uh, she was born in 1959, so her full retirement age was is uh, 66 and 10 months. So she wasn't quite there, so she was getting a reduced benefit. But uh, sounds to me like they were intending on her waiting until her full retirement age so that the spousal excess would not be reduced. We'll never get her up to the full 50% of his benefits because of I previously actually recently been talking about how the uh, spousal benefit is actually paid as two pieces, your own benefit first and then the spousal excess. And her claiming early has permanently reduced her piece from her own benefit. The spousal excess would also be reduced if she claimed it before her full retirement age. But she has the ability uh, to wait to her full retirement age and claim it, even though he's unlocked the door in this particular case. So I would, he asks, is there something we should have done differently? The only thing I can think of that you might have done inadvertently is when you claimed your own benefit, they either asked you if you wanted your spouse, you know, your spouse to get a benefit or, or you mentioned something about your spouse claiming and they interpreted that that mention as she wanted to turn on her spousal benefit at that time. Um, so maybe inadvertently that happened, but you should be able to undo that because unless you expressly request it and, and not you, you can't start her benefit for her. She would have had to have started it. So maybe you went into the social security office together. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what may have triggered it could be a complete mistake on their end. They just took it upon themselves to turn on her spousal benefit as if they were doing her a favor. Um, so I would contact them immediately and tell them, no, you didn't want to do that. You don't want to turn on her spousal excess until she reaches her full retirement age. At that time, it won't make any sense to delay it any further because she will not get any benefit of delayed retirement credits by waiting past that date but when she reaches her 66 and 10 months full retirement age, um, 
I think, uh, you know, she'd want to turn it on at that point. So, um, excellent question. Um, if someone out there has run into this and has some type of official ruling from Social Security that once you're I know for sure if you haven't started any benefits, I haven't heard from anyone that was shoved through the door of the spousal benefit just because their spouse claimed uh, and unlocked that door. I guess there's a, since she was claiming her own, she was already a claimant. She was receiving benefits um, that somehow that maybe there's been a nuanced change to the rules where if you're claiming your own and the spousal becomes available, they shove that upon you without your without your uh, permission, if you will. I, I I just don't think that's the case. I've not heard that before. The under, I've I've never seen anything where where you were forced to take the spousal. Um, but Social Security does some interesting things at times. So my bet is it was a mistake or a, a misinterpretation of your intentions uh, when you claimed. But I think you should be able to get it rectified. Just contact them uh, as soon as possible and explain the situation, and I think uh, I think that'll get cleared up. Question number two. Let's see here. So this one comes in. Let's see if there's a hint here. Uh, this is from uh, Georgette. So uh, obviously a listener that's listened for a while. Um Admits, okay, at the bottom, admits too lazy to look up any little-known facts. So no no uh, hints, but reveals that they were born and raised in the land of Lincoln, Illinois, of course, and 40 years in the Golden State, California. So um, this is my opportunity to clear up that Illinois thing. Um, a show or two back, someone gave a hint that said this is the state that, you know, that has the highest production in each of the areas of corn, hogs, and soybeans, that they were number one in all three of those. And the answer they provided was Illinois. And that seemed, both Jim and I felt Iowa was the answer. And so while Jim was talking, I did a little research, which I tend to do while he's talking. And because um, uh, I still was doubtful of, of that answer that just didn't feel right to me. And come to find out that, just for example, Iowa has almost five times the production of hogs of Illinois. Illinois makes a lot of hogs, but they're not even close to competing with Iowa. Corn, they, Iowa is also number one. Soybeans, though, Illinois was number one. So um, got to hand it to to uh, Illinois with the soybeans. But that, that uh, trivia fact that was presented to us before, Either we misinterpreted what they were saying or it wasn't quite right. So I wanted to clear that up, particularly for those in Iowa who probably felt a little dissed by uh, someone claiming that Illinois was kicking their butt in all those areas. I'm pretty sure Iowa has nothing to be ashamed of in the areas of certainly in corn and hogs where they're number one. But they were all you know pretty good in soybeans as well. Just uh, Illinois, for whatever reason, must be a real favorable climate in Illinois for soybeans because they're uh, number one. But back to the question, reason why you're here today. Um, so begins, hi, Jim and Chris. I began Social Security at 63 and two months when I stopped working. After listening to your show for the past year and a half, I suspended my Social Security at 66 and 10 months in order to improve my guaranteed income in the future. I have no pension and I was never married. I plan to wait until 70 to draw again. I know I will get future cost of living adjustments or COLAs and 
uh, delayed retirement credits at that time. My question is, will they be calculated on what I was receiving when I suspended payments? That's what I assumed, but it just occurred to me that maybe I'm wrong. For example, if my Social Security payment before I suspended was $2,000, will my age 70 payment be $2,000 plus COLAs plus delayed retirement credits? Or is there some other rule that the beginning amount goes back to my original payment or some other number? Uh, I have good news. It uh, will just picks up right where you left off. So you will be earning both cost of living adjustments as they are released and delayed retirement credits during the time that you are suspended from looks like you're being you're suspending for about three years and eight months between 63 and two months and your full retirement age of of uh, oh no take it back my math is wrong uh, suspended at 66 and 10 months at full retirement age couldn't have suspended back at 63 and two because you have to be your full retirement age or older in order to suspend. Um, and then age 70. So that's three years and two months, uh, that will, she will be receiving, uh, delayed retirement credits, but you're not going to lose out on either one. You're going to get both, but let me back up and say, you know, kind of explain some of the pieces of what's going on here. When you are not collecting benefits, either you didn't claim at all, and, and this is your own retirement benefit. The rules are different for spousal or survivor benefits. Under On those benefits, you, the recipient of those benefits, can't do anything to earn a greater benefit due to what are called delayed retirement credits, delaying your claiming past your full retirement age. But your own retirement benefit, you can earn these delayed retirement credits and they come in the form of an 8% per year increase in your benefit for each year that you delay. More specifically, they actually give you credit on a monthly basis. So you get two-thirds of 1% more in benefits for each month that you delay past your full retirement age up until age 70. For people like this who claimed before their full retirement age, uh, they then later decide, gee, I, I wish my benefit was a little bigger because I like the, the longevity protection that Social Security provides. And I've realized that buying more Social Security in the form of foregoing my payments for some period in order to get a larger payment later makes sense for me. And so I'd like to do that. And once you get to your full retirement age, even after having claimed, you can turn the clock back on for earning delayed retirement credits by what's called suspending your benefits. You're allowed to suspend or push the, push the pause button. It doesn't cancel your benefit. Your benefit, you're, you're still considered to be a beneficiary. You've just paused your benefits. And um, that also pauses now any benefits that would have been paid on your record if you had a spouse or children who are claiming, etc. Um, not the case here. Never married. Um, but, uh, if you then later turn on your benefit, they'll grant you those, those delayed retirement credits up until the age of 70. So it's a way to kind of still get the benefit of delaying, even if you've previously claimed doesn't make it all better. I mean, it doesn't get you back up to a hundred percent of what you could have gotten because that reduction that you experienced by claiming initially at 63 and two months um, is, is going to permanently be in there, but then you're going to grow from there by delaying from full retirement age to age 70 in this case. So, 
Uh, it is perfectly allowable to do what she is describing, and there's no kind of reset of the benefit. You don't lose any ground by doing it that way. You, you continue on from where you were when you suspended, and then you get both cost of living adjustments and delayed retirement credits. As soon as you unpause, you don't miss out on anything uh, of the sort during that time period. So um, glad I could be. Hopefully I was helpful on that one. I like when I'm given good news. Uh, not all of them are good news necessarily. But uh, the next one is particularly interesting and a bit longer than these other two. So I'm going to kind of dive right in. Uh, oh, there's a hint on this one too. So this one is very recent. This just came in a few days ago. And uh says, hello, Jim and Chris. I'm from the triangle-shaped state whose state dance is the shag. So Jim giving that to me, I would have had no idea. Although triangle-shaped, I might have been able to get it from triangle-shaped because um, just that one hint kind of should lead everyone down the path towards South Carolina, which is the answer to the question. But if you didn't know, the uh, the state dance is the shag in South Carolina. Not being a dancer, couldn't describe to you in any way, shape, or form what that looks like. Um, but here's the background of my question. The first part of this is kind of a, a tragic story that turns out kind of okay. Um, and then he gets into a question. So here's the fascinating but a bit tragic story. My mother's 81 and is a retired school teacher from Georgia. For six years in the middle of her 26-year teaching career, she taught in a county that didn't participate in Social Security. She has a pension from Teachers Retirement of Georgia that covers her entire teaching career, and she has a much smaller, under $200 a month, pension from the county that didn't pay into Social Security. She's been drawing Social Security since age 62. She was widowed earlier that year. They reduced her Social Security benefit with WEP, that's the windfall elimination provision, and told her that her entire survivor benefit was wiped out by GPO, the government pension offset. I have gotten more involved in her finances in the last few years, and last year I researched her situation more fully and came to believe that only her small county pension should have triggered GPO. The bigger state one should not have been involved since she finished her career for many years paying into Social Security. So I'm going to pause there and add a little. That conclusion is exactly right. GPO, first of all, reduces your potential survivor benefit from, from uh, her husband who passed away. Only $2 for every $3 of that pension. And her pension that is generating the GPO offset is only $200 a month. So the reduction in the survivor benefit that she otherwise would have been entitled to from her husband would only be reduced by about $135 a month, not completely wiping it out. So he came to the exact same conclusion. And this, unfortunately, is the type of stuff that happens to people claiming Social Security way too often. I've seen studies that show there's literally tens if not low hundreds of thousands of people, particularly widows, who have been given bad information from Social Security and have been underpaid benefits 
all the way until they pass away because no one ever brought it to their attention. Nobody knew, and it was just what happened. Fortunately, in this case, as I'm going to continue reading, there was a positive outcome. So I continue on. Anyway, after a lot of aggravation, getting our senator's office involved and a year of pushing, the Social Security Administration corrected it and paid her about $130,000 in underpayment and more than doubled her ongoing monthly benefit. She had received the wrong benefit by far for 18 years. So I'm sure she's happy she got that 130000 but she's gone 18 years being substantially underpaid by Social Security, the benefits that she was due off of her husband's record in the form of a survivor benefit because they completely misapplied the GPO. Then when it was brought to their attention, they didn't quickly fix it. They had to work, this person had to work hard for a year and even get their senator's help to intervene, which is kind of the the ultimate escalation to move it up to your congressperson or your senator to ask them to contact the liaison at Social Security and figure out what the heck is causing the delay in getting this fixed. So I still think this is a sad story because even though she got the $130,000, it didn't come to her when it should have. And they're not adding interest to this over time. She's given up true. I mean, this is still cost her by not having that money when it maybe was more useful to her or just having that money earlier is more valuable than having the money later. We call it time value of money. This um, turned out better than it could have had she never received it, but this should never have happened. This should never have lingered on. There should have been some type of auditing process at Social Security where someone should have caught that this was wrong early in the process and somehow uh, it didn't happen. So that's the background of the story. Then he continues on with a, a second question, kind of the side effects of, of what this fix, this receiving the 130000 is going to cause. So he continues, with her two teachers' pensions and Social Security, plus a little bit of investment income, mom has never had to pay IRMA. That's the income-related monthly adjustment amount. So her modified adjusted gross income each year was low enough that she never paid more than the base fee for Part B and Part D Medicare. Now for 2023, her income will be much higher because of that $130,000 payout. Even if she'd been paid the right amount all along, that higher benefit she should have gotten, she never would have owed Irma, and her new benefit will not cause her to owe it in the future. However, in 2025, she will owe it if they consider the 130000 Do you think they will? This is not one of the allowable reasons to apply for an exception to Irma on SSA 44, as far as I can tell. But it seems really rude, that's a kind way of putting it, that she will have to pay Irma for a year because of their mistake for 18 years. Well, I feel, I feel your pain. I'm, I'm on your side on this one. That is rude. I would call it something worse than that. I'd call it abusive is what I would call it personally. Um, but I think I might have some good news for you. What's going to happen whenever you receive a lump sum payment from Social Security 
for payments that they owed you previously. And people on Social Security Disability find this all the time. They run into this because many, many times your Social Security Disability application is denied initially, and then you have to go through a whole long process to appeal it. And by the time the appeal is over, time has gone by. It could be a couple, two or three years after your initial disability that you finally get notified they've approved it. And then they, to their credit, back pay you. They'll, they'll get you back pay. And they do the same thing. They send you a lump sum for all those missed payments. Some people wonder, gee, can I go back and file amended returns to split up this income into those years where I should have received it? The answer is no expressly. They actually specifically state you cannot, you're not allowed to do that just because of a lump sum social security uh, payment. What they do allow you to do though, and you have to do some figuring on your own, is they will send you a 1099 for the payment. So she's going to get a 1099 for the entire 130000 plus all the regular Social Security benefits that she receives for 2023. But it's going to line list not just the total. It's going to show benefits for, gee, back 18 years, what that's, 2005? It'll show benefits should, you know, for 2005 in a dollar amount, benefits for 2006 in a dollar amount, 2007, all for the all 18 years. It's going to show where that $130,000 should have been paid. What that's going to do is give you the ammunition to elect something they allow you to do. They do require that you record or report all of the income that gets paid to you on your current tax return. They're not going to allow you to go back and amend returns and put it back there. But what they do allow you to do is only put onto your current tax return the amount of the Social Security that should have been taxable had it been paid in the right year. So there's a worksheet, and it's, it's called Publication 915, which is a, a, a general publication on Social Security and stuff. And, and, and in the worksheets section, there's a worksheet in there that you'll have to do for each of those 18 years. And what it allows you to do is take that dollar amount that should have been paid that year Go back and look at that return, which I don't know if you're going to have returns back that far, so that might be the only issue here, but but try to figure out how much of that payment should have been taxable. Hopefully, the answer is a very small amount, and then you'll do that for the next year and the next year and the next year. Do that for as many years as you can identify, and hopefully, you'll then end up with an amount that you would report on your 2023 tax return that's a number way below the 130 that you're getting. Because all you have to report is the taxable portion of your $130,000 in this particular case. Now, unless you're particularly astute and you like working with those IRS slash Social Security uh, worksheets and can work through them, you might want to uh, help, you know, get some help from an accountant or an enrolled agent that's, that's dealt with lump sum Social Security payments before. Um, an attorney that deals with social security disability probably runs into this all the time and they probably have a referral to an accountant or enrolled agent, uh, that could help you with this because they deal with it all the time with social security disability back pay. Um, but I think that you might be able to whittle down the taxable amount of social security being reported to a level to keep her out of Irma for 2025. Um, 
but I'm just guessing. I just, you know, it just depends on the tax situation in each of those past 18 years, or at least in enough years that you could identify with tax returns that you could, again, reduce that so you're not just throwing that whole 130000 at face value into the calculation as if it was legitimately 2023 Social Security benefits being paid to you. So they do you a favor by line listing each year on the 1099 how much you're going, you know, how much was attributable to each of those years that they're paying back pay, you know, underpayment that they have are giving to you at this point. So they give you the ammunition to do these calculations. You'll just have to take the time to do it. The good news is even if you get sucked into Irma, it's just a one-year event, as you pointed out. 2023 modified adjusted gross income, which for IRMA purposes, the MAGI or modified adjusted gross income is your AGI, your adjusted gross income from your 1040, plus any untaxed or tax-free interest. Your AGI only includes the taxable portion of Social Security. So that's why the strategy I'm talking about should work that you, as long as you can reduce the amount of taxable Social Security that's being reported on your current year 1040 by allocating those previous payments back on those you know previous tax years and figuring out how much would have been tax-free each of those years, uh, or more specifically, how much should have been taxable in each of those years, you're then going to just report it in 2023 I'm crossing my fingers that number is going to get down low enough where you can avoid Irma. But even if you get smacked with a little bit of Irma, maybe you can't get it down far enough to get you completely out of Irma. At least it's just a one-year event. You do have 130 grand that's hit your account um, that though never should have happened, um, and it's a lot of work to get it. At least you've got it now. That's the the glass half full part of this whole thing. But um, this is a lesson for everybody. This is a lesson that. If you're helping your parents or grandparents or eventually yourselves in Social Security claiming, make sure you've got your ducks in a row and you understand what you should be getting. While most of the time Social Security will agree with you and will pay you what you're supposed to receive, too often, particularly as it turns out, with widows and widowers, too often, Social Security makes a mistake or misapplies the rules or who knows what go is going on behind the scenes that causes people to be underpaid or not realize they are eligible for a certain benefit and Social Security not pointing it out to them. You've got to do your own research on this and know what you're owed before you go in to just watching out for yourself. It's just being your own best advocate. And uh, this kind of turned out okay in the end. And I think the Irma situation is going to be better than he believes it might be. I do think that there should be some type of more automatic Irma relief for a case like this. So you don't have to go back and do all this accounting uh, forensic research to try to, to, to deal with this like I've described. Um but until they, you know, this is a rare enough instance, I doubt they're going to add that as one of the life-changing events on the SSA 44. So in the meantime, you'll just have to do what I described, I believe. If uh, any other tax experts out there have run into an issue like this, that they've got some other ideas, uh, certainly reach out to me and I'll share them with our listeners. If 
if uh, something, if there's a better path forward than what I've described, but I think that's going to be your uh, saving grace, your ability to kind of refigure the taxable amount of those benefits by year using those past tax returns or past uh, earnings that you had each of those previous 18 years, or at least as many of them uh, as you can identify. Uh, I wish you good luck in that, and I, I'd love to hear actually how that turns out uh, if you pursue that. Uh, like I said, that one, super interesting. Have not run into that brand new question. Never had to deal with a lump sum social security payment being big enough to you know to create these IRMA issues. Um, so thanks much for sending that in. That was a good one. Okay, next question. This one's actually rather short, um, actually. So this one came in from our um, our our blog, helpwithmysocialsecurity.com, all one word, helpwithmysocialsecurity.com. There's uh, blog articles there that a lot of times it's questions we answer on the show. We'll turn them into a blog post on there. And, and this person ran across an article on there and um, sent us this, sent us the following. He said, I was reading this article uh, on your website, uh, and I just ran into the same problem. I reached full retirement age, and I tried to suspend my retirement benefits and to apply for survivor benefits, but the Social Security Administration told me I could not. According to them, the law regarding voluntary suspension of benefits changed, and for requests submitted on or after April 30th of 2016, you can still voluntarily suspend benefit payments, but during the voluntary suspension, other benefits payable on your record, such as payable to your spouse, are also suspended, and one cannot continue receiving other benefits. Could you comment who is correct? and give references to show the Social Security Administration if they are incorrect. If I need a lawyer, would you represent me? Thanks. <laughs> well, I'll tackle the last one. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, nobody at the firm is a lawyer, so we couldn't represent you uh, legally. Uh, but in this case, I have to admit that um, the Social Security Administration is correct on this one. Uh, what's happened is I went and dug through and found the article that they were referencing it was an older article that was written uh, with information prior to that change that Social Security mentioned. There was a lot more flexibility in what you could do when you suspended benefits. Uh, so it is true that once you've started your own benefit, if you suspend it, you cannot, first of all, still have others on your record collecting. So this would particularly affect spouses. So if, if you're collecting, your spouse is collecting on your record and you choose to suspend, it also suspends the spousal benefit. That used to not be the case. That was a very common strategy where people would file and then suspend. We call it, you know, it was called the file and suspend strategy. The filing is what unlocked the door to the spousal benefit. Like I mentioned on a previous question, it unlocks the door and then the spouse can walk through it to claim their spousal benefit. They don't thrust you through it. <laughs> they didn't make you do it and still don't make you do it, but it unlocks the door. But then people would suspend immediately in order to earn delayed retirement credits. So it kind of unlocks the door for their spouse. So their spouse could be collecting spousal and then you get your delayed retirement credits. They, the, the change put the kibosh or stopped that in its tracks. Uh, so that's uh, one of the things that uh, people misconstrue to mean that suspension is no longer allowed. Suspension is still allowed. 
that was not affected. But what happens when you're suspended was changed. And that was the grandfathering. You had to have been collect, you know, in suspension prior to April 30th of 2016 for these auxiliary benefits to be payable while you are in suspension. And also they clarified at that time, I think it was all simultaneous, that um, if you've turned on your own benefit, just because you're in suspension, you're still receiving that benefit in the eyes of the Social Security Administration. They're just holding your payments and allowing you to collect delayed retirement credits. Um, you can't then turn on another benefit. When you push the suspension, it shuts everything off for you. You can't be collecting another benefit. So uh, the article, I, f I did find and removed it from the blog post, because it, it, it the blog site, because it no longer applies. Uh, so um, unfortunately, this one, I have bad news for you. Uh, while it sounds like it would have benefited you, sounds like you wanted to suspend your own earned delayed retirement credit credits while simultaneously collecting a survivor benefit and then turn it back on. Uh, since you've already filed for your own benefit, that is not available to you anymore. You could switch to the survivor benefit. That's still allowed if it benefits you, but otherwise you can't do what you were trying to do. But I want to add a little clarity for others who are thinking, oh my gosh, I, I, I was having this plan where I was going to uh, collect my survivor benefit and wait to claim my own benefit until later and get those delayed retirement credits. We call it being paid to wait. Normally, when you try to wait and collect delayed retirement credits, you don't get any benefit at all. You're, that's the cost of waiting. You, you forego the payments so that you get a bigger payment later. Well, when people are simultaneously eligible for their own benefit and a survivor benefit, they can actually turn on the survivor benefit independently and leave their own benefit unclaimed and claim it later, maybe as late as age 70 with all the delayed retirement credits. The reason that's different is if you haven't turned on your benefit yet at all, you're not in suspension. You just haven't claimed it yet. You can absolutely still do that strategy where you claim a survivor benefit first and then at 70 switch to your now maximized own retirement benefit, assuming it would have gotten, you know, it's bigger than the survivor benefit. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to do this strategy. So you'd have to make sure it's right for your situation. But the reason why this, uh, you know, they're not a listener because they wrote in from our, our uh, uh, website, but this person, it doesn't apply is because they had already claimed their own retirement benefit. You can't unclaim that easily without doing a full withdrawal of application. But then, of course, you have to do that within a year. You have to pay back all the benefits that were paid on your record. If I guess I should mention that as a possible workaround here. Um, they don't indicate dates or how long they've been doing things. But if you uh, have been claiming your own benefit for less than a year, you could, if you could afford to pay all the benefits back, you could... Uh, withdraw your application for your own benefits, pay it all back. They will then act like you've never claimed your own benefit. You could then turn right around and claim a survivor benefit, collect that all the way up to age 70, and then turn on your now maximized own retirement benefit. So I guess there's one potential solution here, but since they don't give me any of the dates of when they claimed or you know what have you, or their ability to pay back all those benefits, uh, this may or may not be a viable option for them. But I, I guess uh, at the last minute here, I do need to admit that as a potential strategy uh, for this person. So 
Um, thanks for reading our blog. I apologize for that uh, outdated article still being on there. Somehow that uh, slipped by us, but it is uh, no longer misleading people. It's been removed. Okay. Uh, the next one, let's see here. Um, this one comes in from, well, it also came in from our blog post. I don't know. No hint or anything, so they may or may not be a podcast listener. But a uh, really good question came in from the blog blog post here. They're from uh, Pennsylvania. It says, Hi, Chris. I often get confused about surviving spouse benefits. I usually try not to use the word spouse because there is a distinction between spousal benefits and survivor benefits. And then when you say surviving spouse, to that for me that kind of muddies the water between the two, and they're they're separate. So I'm gonna re, I'm gonna continue throughout this. When they say surviving spouse, I'm gonna say survivor benefits, the survivor. Okay. So they said uh, I often get confused about survival benefits. I've heard you say that after the death of one spouse, the surviving spouse will receive the same social security benefit that the deceased spouse was receiving. For example. I am 67 and my wife is 60. My monthly benefit is $3,000 at full retirement age, and my wife's been a stay-at-home mom. I will soon claim my monthly benefit of $3,000 as I need the income. If my wife were to start claiming her spousal benefit at 62, she would receive her reduced spousal benefit of $1,050 versus waiting until her full retirement age of 67 to receive the full half of my benefit, that is $1,500. The part I get confused on is when I pass away. If she claims at 62 when I pass away, will she receive the full $3,000 per month? Or will she receive $2,550 per month because of her claiming her own benefit early and getting the $450 reduction? Thanks. Supplies his own name. Um, oh, they did have a hint. I'm, I really apologize. Um, I already told you the, the state, so you already know the answer, but the state was the state where Arnold Palmer was born. So that is Pennsylvania. I think that is correct. Um, so, um, yes, we'll just go with the fact that they've done the calculations based on age and all this, that the, the reduced spousal benefit would be 1050 instead of 1500. That reflects the 30% reduction in benefits that one would receive claiming at 62 versus 67, if your full retirement age was 67, for your own benefit or spousal benefits. Survivor benefit early claiming is a little different. So, Neither of his proposed examples are correct. He said, would she receive the full 3000 or would she receive 2550 Well, turns out neither. <laughs> um, first, let me tell you the baseline. If he were to pass away while receiving 3000 a month, she would be entitled to receive 3000 a month only if she claimed that survivor benefit at her own full retirement age or older. So that's the only way she would get the full 3000 If she claims the survivor benefit earlier than that, in his example, quite early, because in his example, he dies immediately, uh, and she then is still 62 years old, she would receive a reduction. And the reduction factor for survivor benefits is a total different, totally different calculation 
than that of your own benefit or spousal benefits. The survivor benefit, essentially they state, <laughs> excuse me, that the maximum reduction in your survivor benefit for early claiming is a 28.5% reduction. And then what they do, um, unlike your own benefit, for instance, where depending on your year, your maximum reduction of your own benefit could be twenty somewhere between 25 and 30%. So it kind of depends on what your full retirement age is. The degree of maximum reduction for early claiming might be. For survivor benefits, they essentially kept the same 28.5%. But as the full retirement age has increased, they allocate or distribute that 28.5% reduction over more months. So strangely enough, in each, you know, depending on the year you were born, that will determine first your full retirement age for survivor benefits. And then secondly, then the per month reduction for claiming early. For instance, for people born in 1962 or later, which I think might apply to this couple. To, uh, I didn't do the math with their ages to, to figure it out, but let's just go with that right now. And age 62 or later, the monthly reduction factor for early claiming of survivor benefits is 0.339% per month. And if we do, and, and that means you have a full retirement age of 67. So if you claim at uh, 60, your... Um, which is the earliest age that you can claim your survivor benefit, not 62, right? Full retirement age uh, or early claiming for spousal or your own benefit is 62, but you can claim as early as 60 your survivor benefits or as early as 50 uh, the survivor benefits if you're disabled. So that 28.5% gets allocated on those 84 months between 60 and 67, leading to that 0.339% per month. On the other hand, if you were born in 1959, where the full retirement age for survivor benefits is 66 and 6 months, the monthly reduction factor for claiming early is 0.365% instead of 0.339. The reason why it goes up the earlier you were born is everybody experiences that 28.5% over the entire early claiming period. Some people's early claiming period is 84 months. Some people's is as little as 72 months, depending on when you were born. So it's a completely different kind of calculation. It's the same effect. You're reduced for claiming early, but the calculation is totally different than that of your uh, mainstream benefits, we'll call them. So in this particular case, so if he were to claim at uh, 60, I'm sorry, if she were to claim at 62 when he died, at 0.339% per month, that 0.339% per month is, let's see, 0.339% per month times, and she's claiming five years early, so that's 60 months, that reduction factor is 20.34%. So that would mean that that $3,000 benefit that she'd otherwise be available to uh, eligible to receive would be reduced by 20.34% claiming it at 62 instead, which would lead to a benefit for her of 23.8980 or so 23.90 per month. So a bit less than is 25.50. Reason for that is again, the survivor benefit reduction factor is calculated completely different than the spousal or or your her own retirement benefit. So 
uh, the longer she can wait. And, and she's not forced when you die to collect the survivor benefit immediately. However, since it seems that she doesn't have her own benefit, because you mentioned she's a stay-at-home spouse and she would collect her own, any benefit of hers that is, in fact, hers, even if it's small, she could collect, continue collecting while waiting to get a bit older to claim the survivor benefit closer to the maximum 3000 that you were receiving. But if she did turn around and claim it immediately, 2390 per month would be her benefit, not the 3000 And the early claiming of her own benefit plays no part in this. Early claiming of your own or your spousal benefits does not factor into the ultimate survivor benefit. It's like they press the reset button and consider that as a brand new case. And that's because survivor benefits are essentially treated as a separate benefit from spousal and retirement benefits. Those are kind of interconnected in, in one pool of benefits and survivor benefits are another. So early claiming of one on one in one pool does not affect the claiming of the other pool. Um, Whereas we've learned, hopefully if you've learned listening to the show, spousal and retirement benefits are from the same pool. So early claiming of one or the other can affect the other, etc. So they're interconnected, if you will. Um, so uh, he was a little confused as to how this works, and this is confusing. So I wouldn't feel bad about being confused. This is uh, Social Security. I've never seen a printed version of the operations manual, but if it was printed, it would be enormous. Uh, it is really complicated. There's all sorts of little nuances to it. They are changing the rules periodically. The system has evolved over time. There are, are phase outs. There are, you know, it's, 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 it's hard enough to, to quote, try to master it. Um, but then staying up on it is, is equally difficult because of the periodic changes that get applied to it. Um, at time. So um, I guess on one hand, it's good news that the reduction factor is, is less, but the reduction factor applies to the entire 3000. That's why the benefit, the 2390 is lower than what he was expecting, the 2550. Because that 2550, essentially the assumption was that 450 reduction, which was calculated off of the $1,500 benefit, would be the same reduction applied to the survivor benefit but there is no carryover like that whatsoever. So even though the degree, the percentage of reduction is lower on the survivor benefit, because the reduction is applied to all 3,000 of the dollars, it actually makes the benefit lower than what he was expecting in uh, his calculation. So, so yeah, um, like I said, there were some, there were some good ones in here. Um, um, all of them were good. I think two in particular fascinated me that one with the, uh, retroactively paid 18 years worth of underpaid benefits. I hate to hear those stories, but they're, they're, they're interesting to read through. Just it reminds me of, of the disaster that social security can be at times for people. Um, unknowingly it, it's only due to this woman's son looking into it that she got $130,000 in back pay that was owed to her. Uh, short of that, short of someone proactively looking into it, this probably would never have been rectified. The underpayment would have continued as long as she was alive and she would have eventually passed away. Social Security 
keeping from her more enjoyment in life because that, you know, the extra 130,000 bucks. And, and now that she's got double, uh, he, he mentioned the monthly payments are about double what they were before that increase that improves the quality of life. I don't care where you are on the quality of life spectrum. That extra helps her in that. And had that not been paid to her and fixed, ultimately she would have gone her entire retirement life shortchanged. And that just, there needs to be, in my opinion, better protections to, to stop that from happening. Cause I hear it's luckily not super frequent, but it's way too frequent to be okay. It's way too frequent to be okay. So thanks a lot for everybody listening. I know the shows are a little more dry and boring when it's just me uh, on here, just uh, me droning on and on and on on one particular topic. But uh, we were able to clean up quite a few Social Security questions today. I've been assured by Jim that he's available for our next Q&A show that will be recorded later on this week. So the next show to be released, which is a Q&A show, even though this one felt like a Q&A show, uh, will be uh, the two of us, unless something goes wrong on his end technologically, uh, which is possible because he'll be he'll be calling in to, uh, for me to record with him from, from the hotel, which sometimes the internet can be a little spotty in some of those places. So I'll keep my fingers crossed and we'll be back to you uh, in the next show here. And if you've got uh, um, any recommendations for, you know, future EDU topic, particularly social security related, which are the ones that I like to kind of tackle when, when Jim is uh, unavailable, I'm sure there's at least one more show while he's gone over the coming weeks that I'll be doing. I'm going to uh, believe I'm going to try to enlist one of the, uh, one of our uh, CPAs from our tax team to maybe come on and deal with some tax issues in a show. But if you've got any recommendations for a show you'd like to hear on a, on a dedicated topic, certainly, uh, shoot us an email and we'll, we'll consider it. So thanks again for listening and we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.